0: Let's have a word of prayer. Father, your grace and your mercy greet us in every day, and every day you give us the gift of life, you give us the gift of knowing you, the gift of being in fellowship with each other. So come and be with us now that we might learn to know you better and that we might follow you in all the things that we do, for the sake of Jesus. Amen. That deviled egg didn't go down the right way. (laughs) Ah, well. I'm a sucker for deviled eggs. What can you say? Well, friends, we are coming closer to the end of the Apostles' Creed, which has been sort of our thematic study for the year, uh, most of the year. And we're going to be looking at that section today uh, from a biblical perspective. Thank you very, very much. Better. Um, We'll be looking from the the biblical perspective at that phrase in the creed that talks about the fact that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. So, how many of you have have sinned today already? Okay, good, good. (laughs) You've heard that prayer You've heard that prayer. Of the guy that said, "Dear Lord, I want to thank you so much that today I have followed your pathways. I have not sinned against my fellow man. I have not even been tempted to sin in any way, shape, or form. And for that, I want to give you praise and glory. But in a couple of minutes, I'm going to get out of bed, and then, <laughs> right?" <laughs> So it hasn't been that long since we all got out of bed. So the forgiveness of sins, that's what we're going to be looking at. I want to read two passages. Uh, In a sense, we don't study these a whole lot, uh, but it's a good thing that we're looking at them today. One from the Gospel according to Luke, one from Paul's letter to the Romans. Let's talk about those two books of the Bible for just a second so that we know what's going on. Luke, of course... Uh, has written uh, an account of the life of Jesus Christ that is not just a history, but it's a telling forth the good news of the gospel about Jesus Christ. And the passage we're going to read is right at the end of the gospel, where we've heard the story about Jesus' resurrection, and we have heard also now the story about the evening of Easter... When uh, two of Jesus' disciples, they're unnamed, but two of Jesus' disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus. They're going to a little village that's just outside the city of Jerusalem proper. And a stranger joins them, and they begin to tell the stranger about all the things that have been happening in Jerusalem concerning Jesus. And the stranger seems to know a lot about what's going on. He begins to share about Jesus from the perspective of the Scriptures, the Old Testament. And then they sit down and have a meal together, and in that meal, they actually recognize that it is Jesus. The passage we're going to read are some of the things that Jesus says as He is leaving the disciples. Now, the way Luke tells the story, of course, he continues the story with the book of the Acts of the Apostles, and he actually talks about Jesus' ascension. Uh, But what we're going to look at is some of the final things that Jesus said to the disciples, so we'll just hold that in our minds. Paul's letter to the Romans, of course, is written probably 30, maybe 40 years, uh, probably not that long, Uh, but 30 years or so, let's say, after the resurrection. Paul wants to go to Rome, and Paul wants to use Rome and the church there as a home base for continuing his missionary journey further to the west, further to the west in Italy, and eventually to Spain. We know that Paul never gets there. Paul is executed in Rome. But in his letter to the Romans, he's sharing with the Romans his fundamental understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let's hold those two things in our mind now as we read first from Luke, and then we'll also read the Romans passage, and we're going to talk about them in reverse order. We're going to talk about Romans and then Luke. So Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 48. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So there's the the Luke passage. Let's go to the Romans passage and we'll take them both apart. This is Romans 1 verses 18 through 25. "'For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven "'against all ungodliness and wickedness "'of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. "'For what can be known about God is plain to them, "'because God has shown it to them. "'Ever since the creation of the world, "'His eternal power and divine nature, "'invisible though they are, "'have been understood and seen "'through the things He has made, "'so they are without excuse.'" For though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal human being or birds or four-footed animals or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Okay, this is not a particularly happy passage, is it? No. Would you rather look at a happy passage? So would I, but we won't. (laughs) Paul's letter to the Romans, especially the first 14 chapters or so, are a very closely, tightly, intricately woven discussion. They are um, an argument, if you will, not an argument in the sense of fighting, but a presentation of the gospel message. Paul begins Romans with his typical greetings. Hi, good to see you all. I'm planning to come to you, want to share with you. And then he launches into a discussion, a proclamation of, of his version of the gospel. I call it his version because there are other ways to talk about the gospel message, but but Paul's way of talking about it has been so important and so crucial in the life of the Christian church. In the verses immediately preceding where we started to read, Paul talks about the fact that the gospel is God's offer of salvation through grace, And that grace is something that we appropriate by faith. It is by faith alone that we receive the salvation of God. That's the gospel message. Paul then goes into a conversation for the next three chapters or so as we have the letter divided into why it was that we needed God's grace or why it is that we need God's grace. And so Paul launches into a long conversation about human sin the human condition. And that's what we want to talk about today because we cannot understand, we cannot realize the love of God and the grace of God until we understand why that love is so important to us. And it's important to us, the grace is important to us because of the fact that we need it. So that's what Paul is talking about, the need here. And so he starts off with a fascinating word that everybody loves to pick on when they talk about God. For the wrath of God is revealed, the wrath of God. Okay, how many of you can picture this usually imposing sort of masculine kind of figure with a deep voice sending thunder and lightning and hellfire and brimstone and plague and all kinds of destruction on the earth, right? Any of you ever hear God described that way? Yep, absolutely. God made you a certain way, and He wants you to live a certain way, and if you don't do that, God will be mad at you, and He will fry you, so you better love this God who's ready to fry you because He's mad at you. That's my summary of a lot of Christian preaching that goes on. Anybody live through that? Okay. Okay. When we come to this phrase, the wrath of God, I think that brings up all of those connotations, and we need to be very, very careful as we talk about the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? Let's just get some ideas out there on the floor and play around with that for a little while. What would you say is the wrath of God? His anger, okay? Disappointment, okay? His hatred of sin. Okay, remember that when we are talking about God, we're using language that comes from our world and God is outside of our world. God is is not just exactly like us, even though we are made in God's image, you cannot talk about the reverse to say that God is made in our image. And so when we talk about God's wrath or God's anger or God's disappointment, we have to understand that we're talking about something that is a little bit outside of our own experience, but it's related to our experience. All right, that's the only way we can talk about God. And so the anger, the disappointment, the frustration, even the hatred of God is involved here, all of those things. But it's crucial to understand toward which that hatred and anger is directed. Does that make sense? And that's what we want to talk about even more. The wrath of God is revealed against what? Against people who don't believe like we do or against people who play cards and drink and dance or whatever, whatever the version is, is that's what we're talking about? Against ungodliness, against wickedness, right? Against those who suppress the truth. What God is upset about is Anything that contradicts, that contravenes, that cancels out, that supersedes the way He made things to be. Why do you think God would be so upset with that? We aren't perfect. Yeah, He's perfect and we're not perfect, and he's, he's upset that things aren't perfect, okay? Okay, He made us to be in fellowship with Him, but that wickedness... That evil, that sin, we can add lots of words into that, cancels out that relationship, okay? Keep thinking about this. Both of those things are true in their own way, but we have to look at the whole picture so that we get the picture completely right. Yes. Okay, it causes him pain to see the, 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 the evil that's inflicted by sin, okay? Keep going with that, Kathy. Yeah, God's been working with us for a long time. Even 2,000 years ago, God had already been working with us for a long time, sending the prophets, sending His law, working with the people to try to show them and teach them, but but still they wouldn't listen, okay? There's a sense in there's an impatience almost involved here, isn't there? Okay, Barbara? Okay, okay, God God chose us to love us. He made us in love, and He's sad because we reject His love, Okay? Yeah, he actually, he actually came continuing. and lived with us and showed us the way, and we still didn't get it. Okay? What's that? We're too hard-headed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All of those angles are true. All of those angles are true. Let me suggest that there's another way to think about this, too. And I think this way is really important. What, is God upset with us because we did not do things His way? Is God upset with us because He's been trying for a long time, we just said, no, no, thank you? He's upset because we did not repent, okay? So He's just angry. He's just just like saying, I'm God, you guys should pay attention to me. Is that what's going on? God has that right, okay? There is a sense that uh, the holy God who created everything, the holy God who created everything, has a right to expect our worship, our obedience, our repentance, okay? There may be something else going on here. Yes, Laura? We choose, what we, we, choo- we make choices to follow what he doesn't want us to follow. It's that we're missing out on the love he can give us and we continue to get attracted to the shiny objects that, okay. lose, that lose his love. We're missing out on, on the love that He can give us. Let's go with this argument a little bit more, and I think it will help us understand even more, okay? Ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature have been understood and seen through the things he have, that He's made. Verse 19 before that. We already know what we need to know about God. God has shown it to us. We know God, but we don't honor God or give thanks to Him. We become futile in our thinking. Part of Paul's point here is that we know God. We can see God in the creation, but we don't pay attention to God. We don't accept what we know of God. Why is it important to know God? Why is God upset that even though we know Him, we don't pay attention to Him? Just because He's like a a jealous lover and says, well, here I am, I'm God. Isn't that a great thing? You say, no, I don't have any time for you. I would propose to you that there's something else going on here beyond all of those things that we have already said. And everything that you've already said is what the church has been teaching for a long, long time. So I'm not surprised to hear all that. And there's aspects of truth in all of that. But I think there's something more to that, okay? The something more to that is that I think that God is angry because something takes us away from the perfection and the holiness and the joy and the peace and the beauty of life that we're seeking to find somewhere else. And we don't get it. Okay? Here I think the best image that we can use is the image of the child and the parent. When your child does something stupid that hurts your child... Are you mad at your child or are you mad at the stupid thing that they did that hurts them? Now, there's a human side of us that's mad at our kid. It's like, I've been telling you, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times, right? But there's another side to that. The other side to that is that you're sad for your child who misses out on the beauty and the joy and the peace and all the good stuff that they could have. I think that's where God's real wrath comes from. That's the deepest source of it. Not from God's pride. It's not that we hurt God's pride. I'm God and you don't even pay attention to me, therefore I'm mad at you. That's that's saying that God is full of pride. Okay? Is God proud? God's the only one who has a right to be proud, but we're not talking about God being proud, okay? Is God upset because He's bigger than us and we still don't pay attention to Him? That's a power thing going on there. That's not what we're talking about. God is upset because He feels our pain, and He sees our pain and understands that anything that takes us away from Him leads us to pain and suffering and dysfunction, and that's what He hates. Does that make sense to you? Do you see the difference in that? Yes. absolutely. We're still like little children. We're still like little children. Let's talk for a second. Let's follow Paul's argument here a little bit more, because this is the text. Paul says that lots of stuff about God is revealed in the creation, okay? What can you learn about God from the world that you see around you, from the creation? What do you learn? Beauty. Say it again. Beauty. Beauty. Majesty. Beauty. Say it again. Creativity. Creativity. Orderliness. Perfection. Perfection. Oh, intelligence. Yeah, I'm not even smart enough to make an amoeba, but God is smart enough to make some pretty big stuff, right? Have you ever looked at the whole creation and thought, wow, what in the world, who in the world was smart enough, powerful enough, creative enough, filled with enough of something, whatever it is, to make all this happen. That's what Paul is saying. In fact, pretty much every human culture, every human religion has some appreciation of the power, the majesty, the being of God simply by observing the creation. Now, there is a different way to decide that question. When you look at the creation, you can say there is no God, that nothing made anything, that it's always just been here. There are some people that say that today. just been reading a book that says that today. That everything that exists just kind of always was. And and you have the right to make that decision. I don't make that decision. I think there's got to be something that made it. Something that made it happen. Right? And when you start looking at how big the creation is, how incredibly complex and beautiful the creation is, and when you read science and read even more and more how science is learning about how the world is bigger than we thought it was. By the world, I mean the universe, right? And, and it's older than we thought it was, and it's more complicated than we thought it was. That even makes God bigger to me rather than smaller. Paul is saying that in all those things we see evidence of God. Is there, is there some things that you observe about the creation uh, that make you question God or make you wonder why God did things a certain way? yeah why did god make mosquitoes okay why did god make cockroaches why did god make brussels sprouts why did god make earthquakes and hurricanes and right we could go on why did god make it so that there is pain in the world right childbirth Childbirth. yes speaking of pain Yes, yeah. And that's just the beginning of the pain, isn't it? I understand. <laughs> yes. So, when we talk about the revelation of God in the creation, we can look at beautiful, amazing, wonderful things, but then we also can say, I, there's some stuff I don't like. Right? I don't like mosquitoes. I don't like, well, you already figured it out, Brussels sprouts. Right? So, we we can learn something about God, but not everything about God. Hold that thought in your mind, because that's going to be important as we talk about what Jesus had to say, right? So what happens, though, when we, even, even though we've never heard anything about God, still we can, we can deduce something about God from the nature of the creation. But Paul says that instead of thinking about the Creator and worshiping the Creator, what do we do? We exchange the truth about God for lies. And we worship things that are not God. Paul talks about, uh, in in a very graphic sort of way, just idolatry here, right? And and I know that, you know, most modern people do not worship little statues of cows or dogs or pigs or whatever. But what do people worship today? Money. Money, possessions, power... There we are. Technology. Yeah. Some of us, some people worship Mother Nature. Right? That's an old form of worship, worshiping the trees. There are all kinds of things that we we lift up as being the most important things. Right? The things that will connect us to the happiness and blessedness and joy that we think we want to have. Right? Right? I guarantee you, right, if you have just a little bit more money, if you're a little bit better looking, if you're a little bit smarter, if your house is a little bit cleaner, whatever it is, if your children just obey you a little bit more, whatever it is, all of those things. Paul says we exchange all of that for a lie. Is lying good? Is not knowing the truth good? Is hiding the truth good? The wrath of God is revealed against the lies that we buy. Where do you see lies in the culture today? Name me some of the lies that are out there. There's a lot, yes. If I just get some Botox right here, it will all be good. Right? There we go. If I just buy this thing, this new thing, right? All of that stuff. Those are all lies. Why is God angry with lies? Because they they hide the truth from us, the truth about where we really will find our deepest joy and our highest good. And yet, we're all there, aren't we? We're all there. Sorry I picked on Botox. If anybody's got Botox here, I do not believe that you are consigned to eternal damnation. Okay? (laughs) Maybe we should talk. I don't know. It's <laughs> right? So, Paul makes a very simple argument there. We worship the creation rather than the creator. We worship the thing that was made rather than the thing that made it. And that's actually just really kind of stupid when you think about it, isn't it? Isn't it? To worship the piece of art rather than the artist who conceived that piece of art? What's the result of that? Paul goes on to talk about the result of that at length. I included only a couple of verses there. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves. Paul comes up with all kinds of examples of how God says, you know, if you choose not to follow me, if you choose not to worship me, actually to make me and my ways the highest goal of your life, then you're going to receive the consequences of what you choose. God is actually very, very honorable with us in that way, right? God allows us to have what we choose. Did you ever think about that? God allows us to have what we choose. When we choose something other than God to worship, we receive the consequence of that. And it's not a happy thing, is it? It's not a happy thing. Now, that's Paul's way, one way. Of describing the nature of the, the human condition, if you will. Later on in Romans, Paul will, will talk uh, about the Jews. The Jews will say to Paul, hey, you know, we know that everybody else is screwed up. They, they know something about God, but, but we have the law and the prophets, and God has revealed Himself to us. Therefore, we know the way and we know God and then Paul begins to take apart the Jews and say, "Yeah, you know all this stuff, but you don't follow God." And then he comes up with that famous phrase in Romans 3:21, "All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." Right? If you've never memorized any scripture at all, that's a good one to remember. All have sinned. All, all, all." Three-letter word covers everybody. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? We fall short of the glory that God made us for. There's the human condition. Now, with that in our minds, that's one way of describing what we would talk about as sin. Let's go to the Luke passage, right? Now, Jesus says lots of things in the Luke passage that that we don't have time to look at. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I have been with you. These are the things that I've told you about. I've told you about the prophets. I've told you about the law. I have taught you about the way that God wants us to live, the way that God offers for us to live in the world. I have taught you the scriptures. And what do the scriptures say? That the Messiah suffers, rises from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in His name. I'm focusing on that little piece of it because this is some of the last stuff that Jesus said. Have any of you here ever had the privilege of being with someone uh, as they were dying and gotten to hear what they had to say at the end of their lives? Anybody here gotten to do that? Yeah, some of us have. You pay close attention to what they say, don't you? Really close attention because these are the last things they are ever going to say. The disciples I'm sure, had lots of conversations after Jesus had ascended into heaven. They had lots of conversations to say, do you remember what Jesus said at the end, right? Did Jesus uh, spend His time talking with the disciples about uh, the stock market or March Madness or… No, Jesus was talking about the most important stuff, right? About the Messiah, that He was the Messiah, and that there was a message to be proclaimed. If someone says to you, if someone asks you this question, you have one sentence in which to share your understanding of the gospel, what would that sentence be? You have one sentence. And I don't mean a big, huge, long sentence with a lot of subordinate clauses. Just one normal sentence. How are you going to share the meaning of the gospel? There we are. The gospel is about love of God, love of others, loving our neighbors, ourself. Great thing. Great thing. Good job. It's hard, isn't it? Notice how Jesus summarizes the gospel here. What does he say? And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. Now there are lots of ways to describe the gospel, but it's all the same gospel. That's the language Jesus uses here. Jesus must think that repentance and forgiveness of sin is a big deal. Right. So let's talk about why it is a big deal. Why is sin a big deal in your life? Or is it? Maybe some of you have given up sinning for Lent. <laughs> <laughs> why is sin a big deal, Francie? Because you, fall out of fellowship with God. you fall out of fellowship with God. Okay. Why? Why? What's a, What's the big deal about having fellowship with God? We would say that having fellowship with God is about having a relationship, a connection to the source of the power and the truth and the direction and the guidance for your life without which you will be totally messed up and full of pain and misery and suffering and sorrow that you will also inflict on others. That's why fellowship with God is a big deal. Sin takes you away from fellowship with God. That's why sin is a big deal. Does that make sense to you? Name some of your favorite sins or some of other people's favorite sins. (laughs) Eating? (laughs) Overeating. Yes, yeah. Define overeating. There's where the question is, right? Yeah. The definition of sin, the, the, the description of sin is important to us because if sin is that which takes us away from our fellowship with God, which is the actual source of our real life, then we need to know what sin is. Okay? People are always asking me this question. It's, I, 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 I kind of get a little grin inside when they ask the question. I try not to let it show outwardly. They will start off the question this way. Jack, is it a sin to... and then fill in the blank. Is it a sin to fill in the blank? How many of you were taught that it's a sin to wear pants to go to church? Yep. Yep. How many of you were taught that it's a sin not to go to church on Sunday morning? Okay. Name me some of your favorite sins. What I'm getting at is that we must be able to describe what real sin is. Does God actually care if you wear pants to church? Looking around, apparently He doesn't. (laughs) Or apparently you don't believe that He does. Okay? Historically, the church, we, us, have defined sin in lots of ways. And sometimes we've defined sin in ways that are actually not sin. Do you agree with me there? Okay. Let's take, let's pick on an easy one for a minute. Let's let's pick on playing cards. Okay. How many of you grew up in a church that said playing cards is a sin? Anybody here? Okay. There was a time, there was a time lots of churches taught that. Okay. Here's another, let's pick on this one. How about drinking alcohol? How many of you grew up in a church that said that drinking alcohol is sinful? Okay. See, we have too many Episcopalians in here. That's the, that's... (laughs) Right? Yes. Playing the organ. There we go. Okay. Using instruments of any kind in church. How many of you grew up in a church like that? Can't use instruments. Right? There, yes. Shopping on Sunday. Going to the movies on Sunday. Right? Cheating at golf. What? Cheating at golf. That is the unforgivable sin that Jesus talks about. Yes. It is really, really, really important when we talk about sin that we look at the individual actual things or being that we think are sin and decide if they are sin or not. Because I think we get very distracted in the church by focusing on things that are not sin, that we've called sin, or focusing on little tiny inconsequential sins, and then not looking at the consequential sins. Is it a sin to say that people with a certain color of skin cannot come into your church and worship there? Okay? You would have been considered wrong in that answer, and you still are considered wrong in some places. There was a time in our history when that was not a sin, as far as the church said. See, sin is not a simple thing. So when Jesus says, preach repentance and forgiveness of sins, we need to know why sin is such a big deal. We need to know what sin is actually about. Sin is about separating us from God. Sin is about not obeying the truth that made us and the truth by which we must live our lives, loving our neighbor as ourselves, right? You have to hold up every individual sin against that standard. Is this actually loving God and loving neighbor? Well, if it is, that's fine. If it's not, then it's sin. And if it's not, loving yourself, right? Let's talk about alcohol for a second, I suspect that almost everybody in this room, and I say almost because I know some who do not, but almost everybody in this room drinks alcohol. Why would the church be so upset about drinking alcohol? Because of the consequences of alcoholism, right? The Presbyterian church has no stance against drinking alcohol, but the Presbyterian church wants to say that gambling in any way, shape, or form is wrong. Okay? I never use the word gaming. <laughs> I use the word gambling. Okay? Why would the church say gambling is wrong? Because of gambling addiction, people spending everything that they have, right? So, does that mean that we never gamble, that we never drink alcohol? No, not necessarily, but it does mean that we talk about the consequence of the things that we do and the danger of the things that we do. Okay? How about driving gasoline-powered cars? Some people say that driving gasoline-powered cars is a sin today. Why would they say that? Because it pollutes the atmosphere, okay? Polluting the atmosphere is not a good thing. You see how it's not easy to escape sin, how you can look at lots of things from two different sides, but I'm pushing you on that because we think we so easily know what sin is and what sin is not. And we have to be pushed because sin is a big deal to Jesus. Yes. There we go. Yes, I would say it is important for us to look at our sin and not focus so much on everyone else's sin. Now, it's helpful to look at other people's sin to the extent that it can inform me about my sin. Right? It's helpful for me to look at a person who is following a sinful pathway in life and the destruction to which it leads them as a warning to me. Oh, absolutely, yes. Are we enabling the sin of others in what we do? For sure. Are we sinning because we are enabling the other Absolutely, yeah. Are we helping other people sin even, even by trying to help them sometimes we're sinning? Absolutely. It's not an easy topic. But I think we need to think about our sin a lot and realize that, that we are blind to some of our sin and realize that some of the things we think are sin or not and some of the things that we do not think sin are. It's easy to pick on things in the past because we've already been through that conversation, but what are the things in the present that still need that conversation? Mm -hmm. Yes, if it says it's sin in the Bible, it is sin. Yep. Yep, that's a really good way to start that conversation. Now, sometimes you have to look at the full biblical message about what something is discussed as sin, right? Old Testament talks about a lot of things as sin that the New Testament started to just ignore and not think about anymore because it understood that those things were not really what sin was about. So that conversation continues, but for sure, yes. Yeah, we, we are fond of using the phrase, hate the sin but love the sinner, right? And we understand what we're trying to say there. It's so hard for us, though, to not hate the sinner because of their sin that we hate. And we all, we all have sins that we love to hate. They're sins in other people, right? They're not our own sins, like Protestants against Catholics or Catholics against Protestants. It's gone both ways historically. Lots of different places, right? Yes? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, yeah. Manners, rudeness, sin, all of that question. The business of manners developed so that we would have a way to relate to each other that would be successful, okay? It can get a little bit overblown, in my opinion, right? Good manners, you know, you set the table a certain way and you don't do certain things at the table, whatever. That gets a little bit overblown. And I think we focus, we focus on little easy sins a lot. We don't like to focus on the big sins, right? How you distinguish, the way I would answer how you distinguish is you go back to, to looking at what was Jesus getting at when He said, love God, love your neighbor. What is the loving thing to do, okay? Accidentally bumping into somebody while you're walking around it, is, it has nothing to do with love or not love. It was an accident, okay? Accidentally bumping into somebody at 70 miles an hour on the freeway because you're texting, that's a different thing, isn't it? Yeah, do you ever think about that, that it's actually a sin to text while you're driving at 70 on the freeway? Why? Absolutely, absolutely, because you have the potential of doing great harm against others. So that's where you have to use that judgment. I, the Bible gives lists of sins and talks about specific sins, but there's never, there's never uh, such a thing as a complete list of all the sins you got to worry about, right? Because the Bible does not talk about texting while you're driving on the freeway, but it does talk about honoring your neighbor, loving your neighbor, not killing your neighbor, right? Not murdering your neighbor. There's the conversation. Someone else had a hand over here, or my yes. I did. Um, <clears throat> we talked a lot about, or you mentioned a lot of sins uh, that are actually in my little brain, uh, man's opinion of what sin is, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes it's the church, you know, cards, gaming, whatever, dancing, etc. But it's important that we always go back to the scripture. Yes. And therein lies what, what we are attempting to be and trying to do, and that is love one another and love our God uh, with all our heart and all our soul. Uh, other than that, the tripping people or running into people or not being polite one day because you're grumpy or you're distracted, whatever, I just find superfluous. Um, yes. Yes, uh, absolutely. We always have to go back to the Bible in order to evaluate our sinfulness when it comes to understanding what sin is. Part of our sinfulness is that we make big deal out of little deal and we make a little deal out of the big deals. Right? It's an interesting conversation. So what, about what about who? When you're impatient, when you're impatient. okay. Is impatience a big sin? It... Um. You know, that's an interesting question. Yes. I mean, we we would we would automatically say being impatient is a sin. But is it a sin when you've been standing there in line for three hours and the person on the other side of the counter at DMV is incompetent and keeps messing up and you get frustrated with that? Yeah. What about tolerance? Sin. Yeah. Is the church becoming more and more tolerant of sin? Some people would say yes. Okay. I think we would say yes when we say that in today's broader culture, okay, uh, on one side of today's broader culture, it is, it is considered the, the height of arrogance and sinfulness to suggest that there even is such a thing as sin. Um, that line of thinking says that there's no such thing as sin, there's only your choice to do things certain ways, and everybody gets to choose, okay? Now… That side of culture also says that there are certain sins, everybody has their favorite sins, right? Uh, The people who preach tolerance of everything are very intolerant of people who do not preach tolerance of everything, okay? And God is not tolerant of sin because sin hurts people He loves, okay? That's the primary thing. Sin hurts people that God loves. Okay, so God does not tolerate sin. We can have a lot of conversations about what the sin actually is, okay, and how it hurts people and what we do about that fact. I'm not saying we should be intolerant. I would never say that we should go kill people who are, who are sinning, okay? The only time, the only time in my book that I say it's okay to kill someone is if that's the only way to keep them from killing other people that's it. That's the only time. But other than that, it's not right to kill other people. That's where our intolerance takes us a lot of times, though. You know, a lot of Christians killed each other because they had different views about the meaning of the Lord's Supper 500 years ago in the Reformation. Tens of thousands of Christians, maybe hundreds of thousands of Christians killed each other because they, they argued about the meaning of the Lord's Supper. That's not a very good thing. Right, so tolerance, to the to the uh, extent that it means I I live with you in the world, is a good thing, okay. But tolerating error, tolerating falsehood, tolerating something that's not true, tolerating something that's not right, tolerating the idea, there's nowhere Scripture would say that we do that. Now Paul does talk about some the fact that there are some things. Uh, over which we can disagree uh, that that we simply should be filled with grace and give some leeway and latitude in, right? In fact, in, in Romans, at the end of Romans, he talks about, you know, there's some folks who will eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols and some folks who will not eat meat sacrificed to idols. There are some folks who will drink alcohol and some folks who will not drink alcohol. Paul never elevates either one of those issues to the status of needing to fight about it. He said, just, you know, accept that there are some things that, that, that we're going to disagree about. They're not major issues. And the church historically has said that, that we need to agree about essential things, but non-essential things, we allow latitude, we allow tolerance, right? I, I love to go worship in churches where they will not use an organ or any kind of instrument because the people there actually know how to sing because that's the instrument they use, Okay? right? Now, I disagree. I love our humongous pipe organ, and I love all the instruments. I think that's the right way, but but I can worship with other people who don't do that, okay? Is that so essential, right? Now, if we want to talk about someone who who suggests that um, uh, child slavery is okay, well, we're going to have a discussion about that one, aren't we? Have you had enough of talking about sin? (laughs) Jesus says, Jesus says the gospel is about preaching repentance and forgiveness of sin. We haven't focused much on the repentance side, but those things are usually paired together. It's a big argument. We don't have time to have it now. But it's a big conversation to talk about whether or not sin can be forgiven if there is no repentance. The scripture always talks about repentance. The desire, the will, the, the, the intention, and the action toward changing behavior that says, I now understand, I now see, I'm sorry, I'm going to do something differently. And that forgiveness is, is, that comes about as a result of that from God. Obviously, nobody ever repents perfectly. I still commit some of the same sins that I used to commit yesterday. And so do you, right? But I still repent, still turn around. This is hard stuff, but it's absolutely essential stuff because you need to think about your sin, my sin, our sin, and our sinful nature, our sinfulness deeply so that we then understand the grace of God and understand the life toward which God is leading us in that grace if you're going to understand the message of the gospel. It was a big enough issue for the Apostles' Creed, for the folks who wrote it, to include that phrase. You know, the Apostles' Creed, very short. What are you going to say in the Apostles' Creed? Well, one of the big things they say is that we believe not just in the Holy Spirit, that we believe not just in the community of the universal church, that we believe, later on we'll say, in the the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Those are big issues. We believe in the forgiveness of sin. That all that that takes us away from God, God has a solution and an answer for Let's stop. God, thank you so much for allowing us to think for a while about all the ways uh, that we do not experience the joy and the blessing that you have to offer us, that we take others away from it too in our sin. Help us as we look at our sin to look honestly and carefully, candidly at all the things that we are that we should not be and all the things that we are not that we should be Help us to do that because we are convinced that you will forgive us, that you will restore us and renew us, and that you will take us into those places in our lives where we can be healed, where we can love you and love others. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Go forth and sin no more.